This morning, as we dive into this passage here found in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 24 through 58, um, we need to quickly just touch base and to understand that Jesus has come onto the scene. He is the ultimate king, though he has left the throne and the riches of heaven where he is being worshipped um, for all of eternity. He has left that throne room to come in the flesh to save his people. And in doing so, is not only ushering in himself as the king, but also a new kingdom. This is important for us to understand because Jesus is unlike any compared king that we can do so on the earth. He is coming as a peasant man, a homeless man, no place to lay his head. And yet, this is the ultimate kingdom. It is the forever kingdom. It is the, 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 the everlasting of everlasting place where our citizenship as the people of God truly lies. It trumps our earthly citizenship here in America. That we are ultimately living for this kingdom because we live for the ultimate king and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus has been walking around. He has been speaking very clearly in the gospel. He has been calling people to repentance. He has been healing people. He has been raising the dead. He has mentioned and, and talked to many uh, demon-possessed people and has summoned out. He has commanded out those demons from those people. And yet Jesus transitions, as Pastor Justin mentioned a few weeks ago in chapter 13, um, into speaking in what called parables. Now, I think as American Christians, we like to read these parables and we think of them as sermon illustrations. But they were much more to Jesus than simply a nice, pithy statement or story for the people to connect to. Because ultimately, they were a sign of judgment. Jesus begins to speak in code. Jesus begins to speak in simile. Parable means comparison. He, he begins to say all of this really strange things. And from my senses, if you wanted people to understand the gospel and who you were, speak boldly. Speak plainly. And yet this is not what Jesus does. He speaks in such a way that his people, his children, his sons and his daughters, they would lean into these statements. They would want to know more about what Jesus is talking about. And yet, for those who are not saved, the wicked, the unrighteous, the pursuers of themselves would reject it, would stiff arm it would not want to have anything to do with these stories and ultimately would not want to have anything to do with Jesus. The parables are not these feel-good stories for everyone. They are for the believer, but they are foolishness to the unbeliever. And so this morning, like a good jewel smith, um, we are going to look at this beautiful diamond that Jesus continues to carve through the Gospel of Matthew. And like all good diamonds that are cut to perfection, they have many angles um, that you get to peer into, and those angles are meant to reflect the light differently. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, I think gives us a total of seven to eight different parables, or seven to eight different kind of facets of looking at this diamond that is the kingdom of heaven. And today we're going to very quickly move through these because I think there's some ultimate truths that all of these lasting par uh, parables in chapter 13 are trying to say. So that's, that's kind of where we are heading this morning. First, the parable of 
the weeds and the wheat. We see this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then they come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, again, disciples, what do they do? Jesus, what, what are you trying to say here? What, what did you mean by this? Followers of Jesus are always leaning into the word. They're leaning into it. They're pressing into it. Quick thing this morning. It's January 1st. What is your Bible reading plan for this year? What devotionals? What are some, not, I don't like New Year's resolutions or goals, but just if you have a relationship with someone, man, there should be some desires, some pursuits. The people of God are leaning in. They want to know what is the word? What do you mean by this truth, Jesus? We see this in this parable where this guy, he owns a field, like it says. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, he plants good seed. He plants good wheat. And yet, as that plant matures, as it grows, the, the laborers of the field quickly realize something. There is not only wheat in this field, but there are also weeds in this field. So they ask him, do you want us to pull them all up? And, and Jesus says, no, or he's the good farmer, right? And so he, he tells them no, because if you do, you're also going to damage the wheat, the good fruit. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later. So they come, they ask Jesus, what do you mean by that? And he explains it. Well, I'm the sower. I sow good seed. And yet Satan comes, sin, Satan, and death comes and plants weeds amongst the good seed. So the good seed are the people of God. The bad seed, the wicked people, are the weeds. And they grow up in the same place. But that one day there will be a harvest. Jesus is talking about the return of himself, the, the Lord's day, the great day of the Lord, the final judgment. And so Jesus says, let them both grow up together, but when I return to judge, the angels will come and separate. So the weeds, they will go to hell. But my people, I love this line. You need to underline, circle, highlight it, put emojis around it, whatever you do to highlight in your Bible, where it says, verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Man, what a powerful encouragement this morning. That we, the people of God, the righteous, made righteous by Jesus, will shine like the sun in this kingdom. We will reflect the gospel brightly because we are reflecting our Father, God. This is a powerful, powerful statement that we see here. We see another picture that takes place, the parable of the mustard seed and the leavened bread. The mustard seed inside of Palestine is considered to be one of the smallest seeds ever for that area. And what's interesting about it, if you take a mustard seed and you plant it in the ground, I mean, it's just a speck of like what looks like dust. And yet if you put it inside of the proper soil and it has lights and the nutrients that it needs, that small little seed over time will grow into a fruitful plant and tree. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. It's like a very small seed in a place of giant seeds. And yet, when it's all said and done, it grows, it flourishes, and it produces fruit. Isn't that the same thing as leaven? Um, a lot of times inside the scripture, whenever leaven is mentioned, it is a reflection of sin. 
Um, it's typically used in the negative connotation um, that if a little bit of sin inside of the church or inside of your body or inside the, the body of the community of faith will often grow like yeast does, like leaven does, and it expands and affects the whole group. And yet in this parable, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is also like leaven, that it's, it's unseen, that it is within this, and yet it affects the whole. We see another parable here. Another aspect of that cut diamond um, is, is the parable of the hidden treasure. What does it say? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. All right, so it's a, this, this vast treasure that a man finds. He finds it in this field. And yet when he finds this treasure compared to all of the other things that he values back at home, he says, man, this treasure is more valuable than all of this stuff that I've been collecting for years. So I'm going to get rid of this stuff in order to purchase this field so I can have this treasure. That is how the kingdom of God is. Another example of that same kind of story is the pearl of great value. You have this merchant. There are tons of pearls, and yet there are pearls of greater value. So he diligently searches. He seeks to find. It is consuming him to find this pearl of great value. But when he finds it, all other pearls that he may have in his possession are not nearly as important as that one. So he's willing to sell all of those because this one is more valuable than all of those other things. All right? He continues. We see this parable of the great net. And this is very reflectful, a reflection of the first parable that we mentioned, the weeds and the wheat. Jesus is ultimately saying that at the day of the Lord, when I come in judgment, I am going to sweep my arm, this great net, across the sea of all of humanity, past, present, and future. And when, when I sweep my arm of judgment, all fish in the sea, and the fish represent you and I, people, humanity, when I pull all to the throne room, the shores of the judgment of God, when I pull my nets in, my arms are cast, and I pull all of humanity into myself, I'm quickly going to be able to see who are the good fish, and who are the wicked fish, the unrepentant, unrighteous, religious, rebellious people? They will be separated, again, cast into the, the sea where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus asked this question. He's like, do you guys, he's talking again to his disciples. Again, do you guys understand this? You see what's happening here? Do you see what's, what I'm trying to get at? And what did the disciples say? Yes, we get it. We're beginning to understand, Jesus, what you were talking about. We understand. See, quickly we see that the parables separate. That there are two kingdoms. That there's the kingdom of this world. And again, we are so deceived 
And this is what we have to pound against constantly in preaching the gospel to ourselves and being in community because, brothers and sisters, we are deceived because we can easily join a part of that kingdom and even many churches and people who claim to be followers of Jesus, especially in America, can be so deceived and feel like they're such a part of this greater scheme of things and yet they are lost and undone without Jesus. So there's this kingdom of the world. And let me tell you, it's beautiful. The kingdom of this world is attractive. She is an amazing specimen of the creation of sin, Satan, and death. You know, the, Satan is the, the angel of light, right? We get this picture of this nasty, demonic-looking creature, and yet that is not the way that the Bible presents, uh, presents Satan. If anything, the Bible says that Jesus, in his earthly form as man, is unattractive. That there's nothing that would draw you to Jesus's, you know, he's not got this guy with product in his hair and flowing hair and a perfectly groomed beard with beard oil all nice. You know, it's, that's not Jesus. That's how we paint Jesus. That's not Jesus. If anything, Jesus is unattractive. And yet the Bible paints a, a picture of Satan as being extremely attractive, extremely beautiful. I mean, we love that. We, we crave after that. So there's these, this battle of, of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world that we're naturally drawn toward. And then there's the kingdom of God. And, and from our perspective, this looks way better because we can see it, right? We can see these things. We, we can paint this picture of what the kingdom of this world looks like. It looks like power and popularity and intimacy and relationships and big houses and, and nice cars and, and ease of life and joy and just kind of coasting through having this amazing experience. And man, we want to fight for that. We want that. We crave it. And then the kingdom of God. We, we've, we hear about it. I mean, practically, we have some verses about it. But we've never seen it in its completeness. We see the kingdom of this world in its completeness. Try a diet this week. Right? Then the hamburger commercial comes on. And not only does it look like a juicy hamburger, but there's a half-naked girl eating that juicy hamburger. I want both of those. I'm under that diet, and I'm married. But that looks really awesome, right? We, we see that. We can drive down the street, see the homes. We can drive down the street and see the black-on-black jacked-up Jeep with big tires. I mean, we can pass that vehicle and admire it. I mean, we can, we can see the clothes that people have. We can see the popularity that people have. We can see the power that people have. But it can be difficult for us, this side of heaven, to see the kingdom of God at work. And usually, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, it takes us leaving the country, doesn't it, Crosby's, to be able to see that? It does. Because even our church culture can be consumed with looking more like the world than it does the kingdom of God. It takes us being removed from it. So we see these two kingdoms. Jesus often talks about sheep and goats. 
He talks about weeds and wheat. The Gospels, the parables, separate people. They do. See, for us as believers, again, the parables should be these things that, man, we, we love to study, that we want to know more about, that it's, it's painting a picture that we don't fully, completely understand of what the kingdom of God is going to be like, what heaven is going to be like when we're in the everlasting, eternal, physical, emotional, spiritual presence of Almighty God. We get glimpses of it as God unveils it. And so we long for that. We press into that. Brothers and sisters, you've got to press into God's word. Because the world is pressing into you. So we have to press into Jesus through his word. But brothers and sisters, the parables is terrible news for you this morning if you're not a believer. They are scary. Anybody as a kid remember getting bit by the weird kid at kindergarten? Some of you were those weird kids. Our parents took and got a tetanus shot after you bite, bit us, right? You were that kid. Don't you hate a biter? A biter and a pincher. What's up with that? It's just a wussy way to get out of a fight, right? We, we hate that, and yet Scripture paints this terrible, not to make light of that, but, but Jesus paints this terrible picture where there will be in hell weeping in the gnashing of teeth. Gehenna was a trash dump outside of Jerusalem. It's also a lot of times that Jesus will equate that and paint a picture so people can understand when he's mentioning hell, he is talking about the word Gehenna. It is a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where they would throw um, dead animals, carcasses, um, you know, when you use the bathroom, all, all the stuff, all the scraps, and, and the dogs would live inside of the trash heap. And they would gnaw at each other, and they would, you know, just growl at each other. They bark at each other. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth inside of this place. It was a terrible, terrible place to be. And can you imagine living in a trash dump where there's the constant smoldering of smoke as they are burning to try to destroy this trash? That is called Gehenna. It's outside of Jerusalem. It was a real place, and yet Jesus is equating it that hell is similar to living in that. You ever get sick smelling the garbage? You ever seen people living in trash? And I have. Naked, covered in trash, eating orange rinds, naked as thousands of people walk by and yet they're living in that trash heap. And Jesus is saying, man, for those of you who are wheat, uh, excuse me, for those of you who are weeds, for the unrighteous, for the unrepentant, for the unbeliever, for those of you who are trying to save yourself, that is your eternal destiny. But for the believer, for the believer in this place, the parables remind us of what? Verse 43 again, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We're going to be ecstatic in this kingdom. We're going to be overjoyed in this kingdom. The book of Revelation tells us there will be no sickness, no, no weeping for us. And yet that is completely opposite to what is outside of the walls of the heavenly city. So it is good news. The gospel is good news for the believer. But these parables in the gospel is also fearful. It should cause horror. 
for the wicked. Two overarching things, quickly this morning, that we pick up from these. Number one, kingdom building takes time. Kingdom building takes time. Think about it. Jesus talks about the wheat and the weeds. He says both are planted inside of his farm. This earth was created by Jesus. In him are all things. He has created all things. Genesis chapter 1, let us create them in our image. We see the biblical view of the Trinity all the way back in Genesis. Jesus creates everything. And yet sin has entered into the world. What is Jesus saying about the wheat and the weeds? Well, he tells us that the wheat, the righteous, and the weeds, the wicked, grow up inside of this same farm, this same field. And, and there's believed to be that, that he was using a, a term that they would have actually understand, that there is a seed that looks just like a wheat seed. And when you place it into the ground, that weed seed and the wheat seed grow up exactly looking like the same thing. And yet when it's time for maturity, one produces wheat and the other one bears no fruit. But you, they're indistinguishable until it is time for harvest. So they ask a good question. Do you want us to go pull the weeds? And what does Jesus say? No. And brothers and sisters, this is hard for us to get, but kingdom building takes time. Jesus illustrates it here in the wheat and the weeds. He is saying, my common grace, I'm going to show for all of humanity. If I remove Christians immediately from the planet, then this place is going to get worse a lot quicker than I have planned for it. Jesus reminds us back in the Sermon on the Mount, does he not say that we are the salt, we are the preservers of the planet? That we are the light, that this place is dark without Christians reflecting the light of Jesus. This earth is a dark place. And so Jesus tells us even here in the parables, I'm going to keep you here for a time. You're both going to grow, the weed and the wheat. It takes time, but I'm going to leave you here because I have a purpose for you here. My common grace is going to be illustrated through your hands. My, my opportunity for the gospel to be illustrated from your lips. If I pull you from this place, then you, this world will go, again, much darker, much quicker than what he has planned. So he leaves us here for a time. After the resurrection, on that Sunday morning, don't you ever ask the question, man, why didn't Jesus come back Monday? Why didn't he come back? Well, he has a purpose and a plan. His building of his kingdom is going to take time. But when they germinate, when they mature, when they grow, when they bear fruit, you will be able to see which is which. We see it again, the mustard seed, small seed put into the ground. If you go plant a seed today and you walk out there tomorrow, you will not find a tree. What does it take? Time. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is, is surrounded by big oaks. But what doesn't make sense is that the smallest of all the seeds 
the, the smallest little thing, what appears to be nothing, will one day sprout and be a mighty tree for even the birds to come and to lay their nest in. You can't see it now, and it's surrounded by a forest of other things, but one day that tree is going to grow into maturity. So is the kingdom of God. It takes time for that tree and for that experience to reach its full potential, and that is the way that the kingdom of God is. Is brothers and sisters, we can often, often be drowned out in what seems to be oppressed by the things of this world and losing sight at the reality that the mustard seed, the kingdom of God, though we are small, there is a small remnant of us that are believers. I want you to know that God's kingdom is growing. It is growing. If you have a Bradford pear in your house, Bradford pear tree, you know what that is? They're never supposed to be planted in Kentucky. But I'm telling you what, you practically gotta trim that thing every year because when the wind blows, it breaks. I have a property line that meets up with my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law and it's like every time there's a small gust of wind, Larry or myself are out there chopping up large limbs. Large limbs. And that thing just seemingly grows overnight. That is the kingdom of this world. It is growing exponentially. And yet the kingdom of God, on purpose, brothers and sisters, is growing in small increments. Do not lose hope. Leaven, it is unseen, right? Inside of the dough. You cannot tell which is leaven and which is flour, but that leaven is inside of it. What causes it to grow is the leaven inside of it over time causes that dough to expand. Treasure hunting takes time to find those treasures. Searching for fine pearls takes time. If you've ever been fishing before, it's, it, it's called fishing, not catching. It takes time. Brothers and sisters, when the Jews, when Jesus came on the scene, when the Messiah came on the scene, they were expecting immediate judgment for the wicked. Immediate. They were expecting when, when the king of kings came on, immediately the Romans will be destroyed and all those who practice wickedness will be destroyed and yet that's not how Jesus did it. That is not God's plan. God's plan is the kingdom build, and he's going to take his time. All those things, wheat and weeds, mustard seed, leaven, treasure hunting, searching for fine pearls and fishing, what do they all take? They all take time. See, the kingdom of God, this is my own parable, is more like a crock pot than a microwave. You ever had roasted potatoes and roast and carrots in a crock pot? Can I get an amen out of you Baptist people one time? I promise. We will not bring out snakes and Kool-Aid if you say amen, okay? Crock pot meal smells up your whole house all day long. I hate the microwave. I don't want any of my food to be warmed. I know it's weird. 
I do not like a microwave. I even like my popcorn. I prefer it to be in the whirly pop. You have a whirly pop popcorn? Son, that stuff is good. We prefer, generally speaking, though, a microwave type of life. We want instant gratification. We want instant meals. We want cans of food, right? We don't want to grow our own food. Why? That takes time. We are a people of convenience. Our sin has led us to convenience. We, we want instant things. And instead of instant mashed potatoes, I'm telling you, they're not as good as the real thing. And yet we will often want those sorts of experiences, even in our own lives, the promises of God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Out of all of God's creation, he looks at you and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter. We will judge angels. We will be in a governing position in all of heaven. We are his prized children. This is God Almighty that is saying these things, and yet what sin, Satan, and death come and says, I want you to give you these things right now. That's the whole temptation of Jesus with Satan. Hey, you can have this now. You can have all the kingdoms now. And yet, what does God do in the building of his kingdom? He takes time. The gyms will be filled this week with people expecting immediate results from one workout. You'll go to the gym tomorrow, walk half a mile at a .1 pace, Go home, get naked, and look in the mirror and go, I'm looking better. I'm looking good. Can you tell? They fit me better, right? I mean, myself, I was at Sam's the other day, and, and I was like, man, I, I need some protein. I need some pre-workout, all this sort of stuff. And, and I go, and I'm looking for what? To pop a pill to help me get instant results without having to work as hard. That's why my, my drug of choice would be steroids. You don't have to work out near as hard to get twice as big. Man, what a picture of our culture. We're wanting these things. The most influential sermon of this last year in my life, I've listened to it probably 10, 20 times, is from Mark Dever at T4G this last year, and this is just the title of his sermon. But he says in tears, brothers and sisters, we need this, strength needed for a slow reformation and the dangerous allure of speed. We need strength for God to build his kingdom in our lives and in our hearts and minds and in this world. We need strength to endure the slowness of God's sanctification, don't we? Uh, Matt Chandler says all the time, he's like, I don't know about you, but I get so frustrated at how slow the sanctification process is in my own life. I mean, I'm still wrestling with things that I was wrestling with as a new believer. It's a slow process, and yet there's the danger and the allure of speed for all of us. Instant. Instant gratification. Instant results. 
I mean, if you walk down to the mall and you see and stop at all of those kiosks, I want you to know about that tomorrow, if you hit these electric pads up to your belly, you can have abs tomorrow. You'll get rid of, if you'll just rub this butter on your eyelids, then tomorrow those wrinkles will be gone. You can walk through our society and our scenes of commerce and it is alluring us to speed. Instant gratification, instant results. We see throughout Scripture that people are constantly trying to push the timeline of God, aren't they? They're constantly trying to push God's redemptive story. And guess what, brothers and sisters? It never works out well. Never works out. When we become impatient with God's story and His work, it never goes good. See, we'd rather have achievement over lasting growth. Faster does not always mean better. Yet we try to create hype. Noah builds a boat 120 years. Abraham and Sarah are in their 90s, right? They've been waiting for all of this time to have a kid. From Genesis to Exodus, we learn that the Israelites have been in slavery, slavery, for 400 years. How many years are between Genesis and the birth of Jesus? Even Jesus himself here is here for 30 years before he starts his own public ministry. Even Paul, we think instantly after the, the Damascus Road experience that Paul goes immediately to being the Apostle Paul that you and, all, you and I all know so well. And yet it's believed that he probably spent 10, 14 years studying with the apostles and the disciples and learning before his official public launch in ministry. For 2,000 years, we've been talking every Easter at least about the resurrection of Jesus. And every so often, we pull up charts and like to talk about when Jesus is going to return. And yet everyone from the disciples to us here today believe this could be the end of time. We're waiting. Why hasn't Jesus just come back yet? How much worse, quote-unquote, worse does the world have to get? Right? I mean, it's a train wreck. Just ask Mariah Carey this morning. All right? It's bad. It's rough. Trump is our president. Yes, you heard me. Can you believe that? You fired, and now, our president. All right? And it's just like, the world is just, what? <laughs> what's, what's going on? What else needs to happen? And yet, this is what we want. The, we, we struggle with the slow reformation of our own hearts. We are allured to that of speed. I, I feel it. I feel that need for what? Speed. I want it. I crave it. But the kingdom of God advances by inches, not by miles. Do you get that this morning? The kingdom of God grows by inches, not by miles. Typically, the gospel spreads one person at a time. Are there ever mass conversions? Yes, we see that throughout the scripture. But that is not the typical norm. The norm is one at a time. 
See, brothers and sisters, we can often become frustrated with his slow process, can't we? Man, I want my kids to get it instantly. I want to be able to tell my children one time and then forever get it. I want to be able to tell my wife one time and her forever get it. She wishes that of me as well. All right, just say it. And it, so let it be said, so let it be done. Right? This is what we want. And brothers and sisters, I want you to get this. We can often become discouraged when we're looking at the kingdom of the world and the present state of what we can see in the kingdom of heaven. And it seems like we are vastly outnumbered, that we are vastly uh, being oppressed and, and outnumbered by what is taking place inside of the world. The challenging thing for us is to stay the course, to be diligent, and I'm going to use this word, but to, to be committed to the grind of it. Be committed to that, to be devoted to seeing this take place because, brothers and sisters, we can lose hope and lose our joy when we just focus on the things that we can see. And yet God is at work in many things that you and I cannot see. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is growing. The church on earth, this side of heaven, did you know that it is expanding? Thousands of people are coming to Christ all over the world. And though it may be like leaven inside of a thing of dough that you and I do not see, God is at work. When Stephen is being stoned, Jesus is at work. When the martyrs are being burned at the stake, Jesus is at work. When you have a child that is, that is ill, Jesus is is at work. When you have a, lose a husband or a wife, guess what? Jesus is at work. And it is important for us to get this. All these things are happening. But cling to this morning, yet the kingdom advances. And that makes no sense to me. It makes no sense from what I know and what I can see. We're outnumbered, yet the kingdom advances. All of this reveals what? That it is that God is who is in the driver's seat. How many times do we see in the Old Testament where the Israelites were outnumbered in battle? Outnumbered. And yet, what? Won. Won the fight. Why? So that no man on this earth could receive the worship. That we would have to say, man, it is God who is in control. And so brothers and sisters, though we don't see people coming to mission and just running to the altar at the first strum of a chord saying, yep, I need Jesus before we even preach. Do not lose heart. God's kingdom is growing. God's kingdom is growing. We are a part of the global body, the global church. 
And though we can be allured, brothers and sisters, even within the church, to seek pragmatism, to seek easiness, to seek entertainment, that we've got to keep people with this and with that, let us remain faithful to the grind, faithful to the word, faithful to Jesus, believing that slow growth is best growth, because that's the way that God does it in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, but God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. See, brothers and sisters, when we don't cling to foolishness, we will cling to the things of this world. And I want us to get this. That is when we become discouraged, and that's when we have a very misappropriate understanding of the identity of God and the identity of the church. My, one of my favorite images and quotes of this last year um, was from one, our missionary, uh, Mark Phillips. And uh, I've got a picture of this. And this is what Mark posted several months ago. So you see this, like, hut, this place right here? And this is what Mark said. He said, if what you think must happen in order to be a church cannot happen in this building, you might need to rethink your definition of church. See, the lure of speed, the lure of consumerism, the, the lure of capitalism, the, the, the allure of I need more, 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 has infiltrated the church as well to where we don't know if we see that as success. And I think from God's perspective, in the great scheme of things, inch by inch, person by person, that's the kingdom. That is the church. Let's all face it. We feel that urge, don't we? Man, I've been a part of a mega church. And in a lot of ways, some things were a lot easier there than serving here at Mission. And I feel that allure. I, I feel that, and it's nothing against big church. Please hear me. Okay? But we can't always think that big church is equal to God's success in that place. Because there's lots of places that aren't preaching the gospel that have thousands upon thousands of people there. Okay? Neither can we think that being small is ultimately the righteous way. But we must trust God at where we are and find joy with where we are because we will become discouraged by what we don't see and yet we are to seek joy from what is hidden from us. God is at work. The, the wheat and the weeds, they grow together. Though the other trees grow faster, though the sea is filled with good and bad fish, nothing can stop God's kingdom. It is active. It is a slow reformation. Sanctification is slow. Kingdom building is slow. But brothers and sisters, this morning, let it be your joy. It is right. It is right. It is what he wants. Point two. Kingdom building is worth sacrifice. There must be joy in the sacrifice. 
joy in the sacrifice. Look, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in what? His joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then in his joy, sells everything, gets rid of everything. Why? Because brothers and sisters, the stuff they're selling today the things of this world, the cars, the houses, the clothes, the stuff. When you have truly, please get this this morning, when you have truly experienced the kingdom of God, when you have met the king, all of this is rubbish. It is, it is Paul says, it's, it, is, it is feces compared to knowing Jesus, to loving Jesus. You will get rid of all this. You write a blank check and you'll say, here it's over. You don't have to, to beg. You sacrificially give. And every time you give of all of those things for the kingdom's sake and for the kingdom of God, it is your joy to get rid of everything for the person and work of Jesus and for the advancement of his kingdom because this treasure is great greater than all of those other things. This is why Paul says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. See, Paul had met the resurrected Savior. He had met Jesus. He had met him. He knew him. He had been saved by him, kingdom building is worth the sacrifice. And it, is, it can sometimes be tough just to put it into our perspective to be a part of a church plant. And church planting isn't greater than established churches. I want you to get that from the guy who's been here since day one. We're not better than. We're just called to a different field. We're called to break that ground. And if you've ever planted garden in a field or in a yard that has never been a garden before, it is extremely difficult. I've done it. Trees, stumps, rocks, that sod has never been broken. Now the second year, it's much easier to till that ground. But church planting is the initial pickaxe in the ground. It is the initial tip of that plow cutting across the top of that rocky, stony, rooted surface and sometimes that is tough it's tough for our kids to get that man it can be tough for us to get that because it is not easy it's difficult man it can be easy to want to hold on to our money and to hold on to our stuff but our brother Paul and I want you to know that the same Holy Spirit do you get this the same Holy Spirit that was in this dude named Paul, is the same resurrected spirit, the same resurrected Lord that is in you and I. Yet this man knew him. 
And he counted everything else as rubbish to knowing him, order that I might gain Jesus. Jesus is the prized possession. We should get rid of all other things. We should not have to beg, but all of our lives should be in the advancement of this kingdom for the sake of this gospel, for the glory of God. Why? Because Jesus is the sower of the good seed. Jesus is the sower of the small mustard seed. Jesus is the true and better leaven. Leaven is unseen, yet causes the entire kingdom to grow and expand. Jesus is the man who finds the treasure hidden in the field, and it is his joy, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that looking to, uh, excuse me, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endure the cross. What does he do? Sacrifices everything he has and buys the field, redeems the place. Jesus is the merchant who obsessively searches for the pearl of great value and sells everything in order to redeem it, to buy it back, and we are that. Jesus' arm is the great net. And on that day of judgment, we'll seep through all of humanity, bringing all people to the shores of judgment where he will separate the evil from the righteous. The question this morning, the question that the parables raise for us is, do you know this Jesus? We've seen from verses 53 to 58, as Jesus was preaching and teaching, as they were watching Jesus do all of these things, at first the Bible tells us that they were astonished, weren't they? They were amazed at the teaching of this man. Jesus has already been ran out of Nazareth once. He comes back and says, okay, it's been a little while. It's probably been a year or so. I'm back here. I'm healing some people. I'm preaching. And they are amazed. The Bible says astonished at what the carpenter's son here is doing. And yet in verse 57, what does it say? Then they took, or they, and they took offense at him. I heard this week in a sermon from Kevin DeYoung, he said this, amazement with Jesus is not saving faith. Brothers and sisters, I am fearful that there are many people um, inside American Christianity who are amazed with Jesus. They're amazed at what Jesus can do for them. They are amazed at, at even the Bible. They are amazed at this man from Galilee, that he probably even really existed. They are amazed at how good he was. Gandhi was amazed at Jesus, yet he did not follow him as Lord. He did not believe that he was son of God, the son of God. He did not follow him as Savior. There are many people, I believe, that are just deceived in our, in our country and in our world who are believing in this idea that we can have amazement, that we can sing songs about this Jesus, that he can be intriguing. And yet, amazement is not saving faith. This morning, do you know this Jesus? Are you a wheat? And there are many blessings coming your way, brothers, sisters. Or are you a weed and there is hell awaiting for you? Yet, by the breath that fills your lung right now, God is showing you grace and giving you an opportunity to repent and to turn to him. To cling to the person and work of Jesus. To find rest for your lostness. Because I'm telling you, the kingdom of this world will 
be destroyed. It will be completely wiped out. And what you held in your tightest grip of hands and valuable things of this world will one day burn up in those very hands. Come to this Jesus. Find rest for your soul. Embrace the slow reformation of your heart. Stick. Keep your hand to the plow. Turn from sin and follow this Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this time and for this opportunity. Lord, I pray as we come to take communion, Jesus. I pray, God, through the worship of these songs, Lord, through the the bread and through the cup, Lord God, that you would just really speak to us and to our hearts this morning. May we know you. May we love you. May we seek after you, Jesus. Save the lost here. Encourage the believer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.